Thanks for being here with us. My name is Matt Rawlings, one of the pastors here, and uh, we count it a privilege that uh, we get to gather together, that we get to be together to worship God. Thanks for being here with us. Uh, we are grateful. We are going through the book of John right now as a church. We've been preaching through the book of John. We are in John chapter 16, so if you go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 16, we've been making our way through things, and in case you're not familiar with the book of John, this is right at the tail end after the Lord's Supper. He has spent time with his disciples having his final supper with them. He's let them know that he is going to leave them, that, that all of them were going to fall away, that one of them is going to betray him, Peter's going to deny him, and now he's instructing his disciples. He's giving them final instructions for their time. And, and these final instructions really apply to us as well. That's why John slows down, because these are important instructions for all the followers of Jesus to get. So let's turn in his word and hear how Jesus transforms sorrow into joy from John 16. Let's read verse 16 to 33 together. A little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what, what is this he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father? So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anybody questioning you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would mediate your words to us anew today by your Holy Spirit. Would we hear 
the words that you have spoken, your words of truth meant to encourage, your words of truth meant to sustain your disciples, your words of truth meant to give your disciples joy. And I pray, Father, that you would mediate your joy, your sustaining grace, and your encouragement through your word again today. God, we need to hear from you. We get so distracted by so many other things. We need to hear your truth and be reminded again. Lord, would you impress these truths in our hearts by your spirit? And Lord, would you enable me to preach by your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, about four years ago, I guess five years ago now, I keep forgetting it's 2021. In 2016, there was a movie that came out called Finding Dory. Anybody ever see that? Maybe some of the younger kids here, you see Finding Dory. Any of the older people here see Finding Dory, by the way? Um, my, my wife and I liked the movie too, even though we have kids. You see, the great excuse of having kids is that you get to watch kids' movies that are, that are fun, and then you get to tell people about it, but you're like, oh, because I've got, I've got kids, that's why. So that movie Finding Dory, it was about this fish, and she had this selective kind of amnesia. She had short-term memory loss, and so she would always forget things each and every day, and she would continually forget she couldn't remember that she had been separated from her parents and she had lost her parents and so she couldn't remember who they were or where they were from and so um, she was on her own. Her friends found her and they lived together but when her pal Nemo, he mentioned this Morro Bay area in California, she remembered where her parents lived and so they set on this journey to find her parents and they go through all kinds of mishaps, right? And then she gets flushed down this drain and accidentally spewed out into the ocean and as she's wandering aimlessly, she finds these little trails of shells. And she, she thinks they're familiar for some reason. She can't remember why. She finds these trails of shells, and she follows them to this abandoned brain coral. And then it turns out that, oh, there, there's a, there you go. There's the trail of shells that she's following. And at the end of the shells, she comes out of this brain coral, and she discovers her parents are there, and they are busy still placing shells for years, however long a fish like that lives. They've been placing shells as a reminder that hopefully she'll find them and make their way back to them. And then she does. And she's ecstatic. And there's joy. And there's everybody's celebrating. You ever wonder why the Apostle John, why the Holy Spirit had John leave us with these words? You know, if you, if you think about it, the life of Jesus, it's compressed into a very short span for the book of, most of the book of John. Most of the book of John, it, it's, it's pointing us to who Jesus is and what he did and then validating the work of Jesus, validating the person of Jesus. And then John slows way down from about chapter 13 or so on. And, and John slows down so much so that, that really the final half of the book of John is really just the final couple weeks of Jesus' life. And he gives us some instructions here. The Holy Spirit gives us instructions. John gives us his instructions here because he wants us to find our way to him. He wants us to remember some important truths. He wants us to come back to him so we can find joy in him again. You see, Jesus is talking to his disciples in the midst of a lot of sorrow. He's talking to his disciples in the midst of a lot of trouble. And they are just about to, they don't quite understand, they don't know what's coming you can get rid of the dory slide now. <laughs> they don't know what's coming, but sorrow is coming. Serious sorrow is coming their way because in about 18 hours or so, Jesus is going to be put to death on a cross. 
And John recorded these words not just for the disciples to remember, but primarily for all the disciples since then to remember. The important words of how do we find joy? How do we find joy in Jesus? I think what we're going to see in this passage is that, that, that Jesus, that through Jesus and through seeing Jesus, we can have joy on the other side of sorrows. And he's preparing his disciples for that, but, but they got these truths the first time, or at least they remember them after he was resurrected. And yet, God had the Holy Spirit give these words to the Apostle John so that we might see, we might find our way to have joy through Jesus on the other side of sorrows. You know, the, the funny thing is, is that sorrows have a way of clouding our vision, don't they? They have a way of making us forget. They have a way of us making us think that this is all that there is currently. When I, when I was younger, I fell and fractured my skull, had a severe concussion, and I had short-term memory loss for a little while. I can relate to Dory. I had, I had to have things to remember. Sorrows have a way of making us forget. They're kind of like bumping our heads sometimes when we experience sorrows and troubles in life. And we're in the midst of troubles and sorrows. We can think that that's all there is and we can't see our way. We can't seem to find our way out. And yet God has given us these words as a way of us finding joy in Jesus on the other side of our sorrows. Jesus is telling his disciples, he says, a little while and you'll see me no longer. Now they, they must have been concerned about that when he says a little while you're going to see me no longer and they think wait a minute that, that's, that's, that's what our life has been transformed by seeing you Jesus and for you to say we're not going to see you any longer that, that is frightening but then he says something else he says they're not gonna, he's not going to be gone forever they, they need to know these things because just a few short hours the, the Roman centurions this battalion of soldiers along with temple guards they're going to come and capture Jesus and take him away in just a couple hours Jesus is aware of this. And he says, after a little while, you're going to see me. You're, you're not going to see me for a little while. And then after a little while, you're going to see me. Now, they didn't get this to begin with. They didn't quite understand what he meant. They were confused. But they needed to remember that in the midst of their sorrows, they needed these words to remember that in the midst of their sorrows, they would see Christ. And that through seeing Christ, they'd find joy. Sorrow, when it clouded their vision, they needed to see that they would have joy in seeing Christ again. That's what we need to see too. We need, we need to see, we need to remember that, that we have fine joy through seeing Christ. Maybe right now your circumstances, your situations, the sorrows that you are going through are clouding your vision. Maybe you can't seem to remember, but we find joy through seeing Jesus Christ. Disciples didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. They were confused. When he said he, he, they wouldn't see, he wouldn't see them for a little while, then again they'd see him a little while. But you know what is, is interesting here is the disciples, they don't ask. Did you catch that? The disciples, they're confused, and they're having this side discussion. But for some reason, they don't ask. Maybe they're too embarrassed to admit they don't know. Maybe they're, they're ashamed that they should know, and they don't want to admit to Jesus that they don't know. But for whatever reason, they're confused and they don't even come to Jesus. They don't ask him. But here's the beauty of this. Jesus, he knew what they were thinking. He knew their question and he came to them. You see, he has mercy in the midst of our confusion. He has the mercy on us even when we don't ask the right questions. In the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our confusion, Jesus comes to us. 
he mercifully initiates with them and he asks, answers the question they didn't even ask. Is this what you're wondering, by the way? Is this what you're asking yourself? Is this what you're worked up about? And he tells them the truth. He doesn't say that they're not going to have sorrows. Now that should be reassuring to us because Jesus doesn't tell us lies. He tells us the truth. He says, truly, truly, look down in verse 20. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the fact that when Jesus is crucified and he is put to death, they are going to weep and lament, and the world is going to rejoice over the death of Jesus. But then he says something else to them. He says, you'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. The cross was going to be this place of deepest lament for the disciples when they were confused, when they didn't understand, when they couldn't see through their sorrow. They couldn't understand what God was doing in the midst of putting Jesus to death and, and leaving them. They couldn't understand. They, they were confused. And they needed to remember these words. Jesus would not remain gone. He would rise from the dead. He told them they would be sorrowful, but their sorrow would turn to joy. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, sometimes it is hard when we experience difficulty, when we experience sorrow, isn't it? Sometimes when you're in the midst of things, it's confusing and you can't understand what in the world is God doing and yet we can trust that God knows and he has a plan and he is able to bring us joy on the other side of sorrow as we see him. But joy comes from seeing him again. And he uses this illustration. He says, you're not going to be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And then he uses this illustration of childbirth. And it's an illustration that most people can understand, although um, I, I can only relate to it secondhand. You know, I've been there six times, but I've not done it six times. There is a difference. But when my wife first had our first child, Noah, she um, had to be induced, and the labor lasted a really long time, and it was really hard on her. And in, in, in the active labor phase, her contractions, they came um, very hard and heavy, and they lasted for like 90 seconds at a time, and she, she would get anywhere between 45 to 60 second breaks in the middle, and that went on for like 12 hours. Um, and and I, I hear it was stronger because of the drugs they had given to her to induce it because she was several days late already. In, in the midst of things, she didn't think she was going to be able to do it. She was like, I can't handle this, I can't do it. She was in active labor and in pain. And then something called transition hit. And she was, had a few more hours of more intense pain. And she was like, I don't, I don't think I can do this. By God's grace, she made it through. Although Noah was in distress and he was born not breathing she didn't realize it at the time, and so when she gives birth, she's, she was ecstatic, and she was excited, and she, she realized that, you know what, I, I've given birth, and she was like, wow, is he beautiful? I, and I, I just said, he's a baby, because he was purple and not breathing, but I prayed, and the doctors worked, and he came to breathe again, and she was ecstatic, even though she was exhausted, and then when it came time to give birth to our second child, Abigail, she... She had to be induced as well, and she was a few days late again. In fact, with all of our kids, she was at least 10 days late. And so in the midst of this most painful point of Julie is going through the labor again, and, and she says, she goes, I, 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 don't, I don't think it hurt like this last time. 
And, and I said, I, I, said, I, I understand. I, I, I can't under- imagine how painful this must be, honey. And I know it must be hard, but from what I saw last time, it, it seems like it was pretty bad last time too. And it, it seems like it was just as painful, but honey, you made it through and I think you can make it through again. And God sustains you through the pain. I think he's gonna do that again. And, and that encouraged her and she had faith that God would sustain her and she could do it. And, and yet with each and every child, the, the, the funny thing, not funny, haha, but <laughs> interesting thing to note is with every child she forgot just how painful it was. I think it's God's mercy. I think it's God's mercy to have her forget that pain um, so that she would understand, hey, this is joyful and she forgot the anguish that she went through every time. And we realize it's a blessing of, of, of God bringing her through. Otherwise, we'd only have one kid, not six. And each time, this joy of having a child, it eclipsed everything else. And this just joy of carrying a baby and knowing what would come, it enabled her to endure all the pain that came with it. And, and Julie, she loved all of our babies. And that joy of bringing a human into the world, it sustained her every time. And Jesus says that sometimes sorrow will be like that. The sorrow the disciples would have would be like that. They would feel like this is all that there is. And yet, on the other side of that, once they see Jesus, they would forget all that sorrow. In verse 22, he says, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. They would be in anguish and in pain but when Jesus rose from the grave as the Apostle Paul refers to Jesus as the firstborn from the dead and the firstborn among many brothers they would have great joy. I think that Jesus is not just referring to the joy the disciples had of knowing that he's alive but the joy of knowing what that meant and when they saw that Jesus is not dead, that Jesus is alive, and that in him they too are alive, that brought them joy. This is meant to bring us joy too. Through our sorrows, we need to see Jesus, to see that he is not dead. He's alive. And that in him he's brought us new life. He's given us new birth. We're meant to have joy in the fact that we've been born again in him through him, through his death, burial, and resurrection. We too have died, been buried, and resurrected to new life as we place our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Through seeing Jesus, we have joy. And here's the thing it says that's wonderful. What a wonderful promise here. He says, no one can take your joy from you. Your joy of the new birth. Your joy of being a part of this new humanity. And in the midst of sorrows, that we need to see that. No matter how deep and dark your trial is, no matter how deep and dark your sorrow is, no one can take the joy of Christ from you. No one can take this joy from you, this joy from seeing Jesus Christ. Like the joy that I have after I see my wife or my kids and I've been away for a while, but better. Seeing Jesus brings us joy. And in him we have great cause for joy that can never be removed from us. You know, sometimes sorrows feel like they've robbed us of joy permanently. 
Now, I'm not talking about this, this plastic face where we pretend everything's okay. But I'm talking about this, this deep and abiding joy that comes from knowing that we are in Christ, that we have died with him. We've been raised to new life with him. He's given us new life. And in him, through seeing Jesus, that, that seeing that we are in him, he has given us a joy that can never be taken even if our life is taken from us. But not only that, he gives us more cause for joy. He really gives us three primary causes for joy here. First cause for joy is, is in seeing Christ Jesus and seeing him alive and that we're in him. And then the second cause for joy that we have is we have joy through asking the Father. We have joy through asking the Father. Look in, in verse 24, it says, until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. He desires for us to have joy through seeing him and through asking the Father. What does that mean? It's, it's, it's prayer. It's coming to the Father and asking of him. Why? Because we're needy. Because in our sorrows, in our trials, in our difficulties, we need God. And we can have joy in asking the Father. You ever get frustrated because you feel like you're not heard? You ever, anybody ever have that, that problem? Yeah. You ever get frustrated or feel lonely when you feel like you're, you're not known or you're not understood? You ever feel like you don't matter? There's this deep longing, I think, in every human heart to be truly heard, to be truly known, to be truly understood, to know that you matter. But God is the only one who can fill the deepest longing of our hearts. We're never meant to have that filled with people around us primarily. And here's the wonderful thing. We can now ask of God directly. And he hears us. He understands us. He knows us. We matter. For all those who, who've placed their faith in Jesus, he's made you his son, his daughter. He hears you. That's what this means. God, we can ask of the Father and, he, and, and we'll receive what we ask as we ask it in his name. We can pray directly to God. He's not distant from us. He is not some foreigner to us he is now our father and he hears and accepts our prayers and he truly hears them sometimes i think we take the idea of prayer for granted what a huge privilege is this you see see all of the old testament it showed that that people had to come before god through a mediator through a priest and they they had to make sacrifices they couldn't draw near to god himself themselves they the, the priest would only be able to come through the holy of holies at certain times of the year into god's presence and yet now jesus says since he's going to be resurrected as a little while he's not going to see him. after a little while they're going to see him again because of that they're going to be able to ask of the father they're going to be able to have communion with God, receive from God, and make prayer requests to God, be heard by God, be understood by God, to have God as their loving Father. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you can know the love of the Father, and you can know that the Father hears your prayers. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to understand how he answers them. He always answers our prayers. It's not always Yes but he always hears, he always answers his children's prayers. And through Jesus, he's opened the way to the Father where before we could never have come. And he told his followers, if they ask the Father in his name, he will give it to them. And, and he says, you know, until now you've asked nothing in my name. He, he doesn't mean they've never asked Jesus anything. 
but they never asked anything of the Father in Jesus' name. And now he says we have the ability to do that. We have the ability not only to approach the Father, but to actually want the right things now because he can give us a new heart, new desires, new motivations so that we might want things in Jesus' name. What does that mean? It's not, a, it's not a mantra we just pray in the name of Jesus and tag that on the end as if it's some magical phrase that we utter. We say that phrase because what we're saying is we are trusting in the fact that Jesus is our mediator. He's provided a way for us to pray to God, and God hears us now through him. What we're also saying is that we want our prayers to be in conformity with his character, his nature, who he is, what he's done. And now because of that, he tells his disciples, because he's going to go away and come back, we are going to be able to ask him in his name. Leon Morris I love the way he comments on this passage. He says, they will go through trials, but when they put their trust in him, he puts a joy into their hearts that can never be removed. They are to pray in order that their joy may be made complete. It cannot be made complete in any other way. Isn't it interesting? He says, I I want you to pray so that your joy may be made complete. Not that you get everything that you ask. He says, yes, when you pray in my name, the Father will give it to you, you'll receive it. What he means is that when you pray in accordance with his will, with his nature, with his character, you're going to receive that. Now, not all of our prayers are that way. We don't receive everything perfectly. But he says, you know, I want you to pray and know that so that your joy might be made complete, knowing that the Father wants to give you what you ask. I want you to pray so that your joy might be made complete. And it can't be made complete any other way. And look down at verse 27. He says, oh, verse 26 says, And that day you'll ask in my name, and I don't say to you, ask the Father on your behalf. He says, for, listen to this, for the Father himself loves you. For the Father himself loves you. I want that, that phrase to affect you. God the Father himself, because Jesus went away and came back, God the Father himself loves you? Because you have loved me and believe that I came from God. For all who love Jesus and believe that he came from God, put your trust in him. We can ask the Father directly and we can know that he loves us. He wants what's best for us. He knows what's best for us. He's able to do what's best for us and he will. Now you may be wondering and thinking there, well, well wait a minute, what about, what about all those prayers that I prayed that are good prayers, good things? You ever have, you ever have those feelings? Were you tempted to doubt Maybe it's the salvation of a loved one that you prayed for and it hasn't come through yet. And maybe you've prayed for a loved one who's died and you're not sure what happened. Maybe you've prayed for relief or maybe you've prayed for healing that hasn't come. And maybe you prayed for something else that you think is a good prayer and yet you've not received the prayer the way you prayed. Don't lose heart, don't lose hope. Hear what Jesus is saying, the Father loves you. As you pray in his name, you'll receive it. And know, though, that because we are still flawed, we won't always pray in accordance with his perfect will, his perfect nature. And so we need to hold our prayers loosely. Saying, Father, I know that you love me. I know that you desire to answer my prayers. You desire to give me good things. And we can trust in him because he's willing to answer our prayers. He loves us. We pray for good things. We might not receive them. It might not be in alignment with God's perfect will, with his name. 
but we hold this promise that whenever we ask in his name, we'll receive it. And we hold that promise with an open, humble hand. We can trust him to do what's best. Why? Because the Father himself loves us. That's how we can pray with faith. That's how we can pray with joy. We can pray knowing the Father loves us, and that alone brings us joy. God is no longer angry with you if you place your trust in Jesus. He's, he's forgiven all your sins. He's wiped your sins away. He's made you one with him. He's adopted you as his daughter and son. He loves you. We can be sure that any prayer that's not answered the way we want is answered that way because God loves us. So don't stop believing, but let's choose to believe what God says is true instead of what we think is true and what we feel is true or should be true. We can trust in him as our loving father, even if we don't understand. He's given us prayer with the intent of making our joy in him full. But we don't rely on our ability to believe or stay strong. We have joy through believing in Christ's victory. Ultimately, our joy comes through believing, through seeing Jesus, through through trusting in him through prayer, and then through believing in the fact that he has the victory, and ultimately he'll make all things right, he'll make all things new, he's overcome all things, and one day all our prayers will be answered fully and completely. Verse 28, Jesus makes it clear he's going to leave the world to go back to the Father. And his disciples say, oh, now you're speaking clearly. Now we get it. Now we really believe. Now you're speaking in the way that we're sure that we know all th- you know all things. You don't need anybody to question. Now we believe that you came from God. And, and they become a little bit self-confident. They think they get it. And so Jesus, he says, <laughs> your confidence is based on your ability to understand. And you think that you believe now? He wants them to see that their, their belief is going to be tested. And they're all going to fail. And their joy is not dependent on their ability to believe and their ability to stay faithful, their ability to stay strong, their ability to understand. And if they really, if they truly believe as much as they said they did, they would have reacted differently when the crisis of the arrest of Jesus came and they all scattered. And so Jesus answered them, he says, do you now believe? I don't think he was in doubt he was questioning them. Is, is that the basis for your belief? That you understand things? That you, that you, you think you get it? And he, and he tells them that, that really the grounds for the belief is that, that he and the Father are one, that, that he is not alone. The Father is with him. He is going through these things on their behalf and that he's overcome the world. The reality is all of them would scatter in just a few hours from this time. Every one of them would scatter and they would abandon Jesus. And, and yet, Jesus will never be alone because the Father is with him. And yet, he tells them that, look, I'm telling you these things because I don't want you to lose your joy when you see that you are not able to be faithful like you think you should. That's good for us to know, too. The, the, the past couple weeks, you know, I've, I've been really aware of, you know, I, I vacillate between an awareness of, hey, who I am in Christ, and then, like, what a loser I am. You ever have that thought? You ever have those vacillations? You ever aware what a loser you are? Yeah? And like the disciples, I need to hear that my joy doesn't come from my ability to believe, my ability to understand. My joy comes from seeing that he has the victory and it depends on him. Sometimes I falter and sometimes I scatter. 
And yet Jesus knew that. And he's reassuring them and giving them hope and faith and joy for the peace that they have. They still have peace with him, he's telling them. I'm telling you these things so you have peace in the midst of these things and that peace will bring you joy. I love what C.F. Dodd says. He says, the church depends ultimately on what God has done in Christ. Not on the courage and wit of its first members. And I would add, and not on the courage and wit of any of its members. The church depends ultimately on what Christ has, what, we can go back to the other slide. Their church depends ultimately on what God has done in Christ. Do you hear that? Not on, I'm going to change his quote, not on your courage, not on your wit. The church depends ultimately on what God has done in Christ, not on the courage and wit of its first members. And then he goes on to say, he said, it's part of the character and genius of the church that its foundation members were discredited. That's good. It's good for us to see that, right? They were discredited men. It owed its existence not to their faith, courage, or virtue. Oh, that's good news. But to what Christ had done with them. And this they could never forget. May we never forget that as well. That we owe our existence not to our faith or courage or virtue, but what Christ has done with us. And thus, in this, we can never forget. You should be surprised if you scatter. Our confidence isn't in our faith, our virtue, our courage, but in what Christ has done, and this we should never forget. Jesus was preparing his disciples because he knew what was coming. He knew that sorrow and troubles and trials and failures are coming and he wanted them to still have peace in him and for them to know that they have peace in him that's independent of their ability to keep that peace because he has come to make peace between God and man. His death has brought them peace and that peace itself is a source of their joy. Look in verse 33. He says, I said these things to you that me, you may have peace in the world, you have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He wanted them to know that they would fail. They would have tribulation, they'd have afflictions, they'd have persecutions, they'd have trouble. They, but he wants them to know that despite those things, they have peace in Christ because of Christ. In the midst of these darkest times, they need to hear that, that Jesus has overcome the world. Ultimately, they have joy through believing in his victory, not their victory. And that's good because I often fail. You often fail. And, and our hope for joy is in his victory. He's overcome sin. He's overcome the devil. He's overcome opposition to God. He's, he's made it so that all who were dead set against God can, can be forgiven, brought near, and reconciled. Now think about what we've learned for just a second. No matter what happens, no one can take the joy of being born again away from you. Yeah, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have troubles. But no matter what sorrow comes, no matter what tribulation comes, you can have the joy of knowing you've been born again. No one, no one can take that from you. Not only that, you can have the joy of knowing that God the Father himself loves you. And he wants you to come to him and ask him. And he'll answer your prayers. You can have the joy of knowing he hears you. Whatever you ask in accordance with his name, he'll give to you. And not only that, you can know that he's overcome the world. The world doesn't win. Sorrows don't have the last word. 
No matter what it seems like, no matter how dark the hour, no matter how strong the tribulation, we can take heart. Jesus has, not will, has overcome the world. And we who are in Christ, we already share his victory. Even though it may not feel like it. We already share in his victory. We ultimately will share in his ultimate final exaltation in the end. And so in the meanwhile, we, we can't truly be harmed by the world. Because in Christ, we already have triumphed. Maybe you're discouraged by your own confusion like the disciples had. They were confused. Maybe you don't understand. Maybe you're too embarrassed to admit what you don't understand. Maybe you feel ashamed because of that. Maybe ashamed of the fact that you've not always stuck with Jesus like you know you should. Maybe you're tempted to be fearful. The disciples were too, and yet Jesus encouraged them with these words of joy. Seeing Christ brings joy. Knowing that we can ask of the Father that he loves us brings joy. Remembering that he is already victorious and, and he has won our victory. We don't have to win the victory. He's already won it. So let's see this path that he's laid out for us, this, these shells he's left for us that lead us to joy in him. And may we find joy in him anew. Can the band come up. Let's, let's sing the last song. I think it was the last song that we sang. Is that what it was called? Um, I, I don't remember which song it was actually.